All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Well, first off, I'd like to say happy haircut and a great mustache. <laughs> You're looking great. You're looking clean. I suppose. You Not like us dirty folk with the long hair now. You can make fun of me for being a dirty hippie. I was going to say, since when are you the friend with the longer hair? That's a new, new little twist. I know. I've never had my hair long ever. This is the first time. But today we're going to be talking about training age and why it matters. But Alex, I want you to start talking about it because you're the one that brought up the topic. What is training age? Define that for me. Well, training age is exactly what it sounds like. It's like, how well adapted to training are you? Um, how long have you been training in mixed martial arts or in the weight room? Uh, we bring it up a lot in the weight room because there's such a disparity typically between like an MMA training age and a weight room training age. You right? mean if you're a UFC fighter, that doesn't mean you're a professional weightlifter? <laughs> no, that is not what that means. And nor should you train like one. Um, but Training age becomes a topic because based on athletes' experiences around the weight room or even around MMA, like we can extrapolate this to any type of modality, you want to pick different training modalities and different training schemes to better fit where that athlete is, right? So if I have a beginner in the weight room, I'm not going to have them lifting close to their one rep max. Similar, if you're in an MMA practice room, you're not going to take the guy that just made the team and throw him into cage sparring with your UFC vet. Right. Right. So it's just a, an accurate alignment of training schemes that can be based on your experience level. And, and why is that Alex? Because it's the exact same reason for both of them, but oh, because skill coaches don't necessarily understand that. Well, you're enhancing risk for injury. That's all you're doing. Exactly. Because you're going to get fucking hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Like there's, there's this thing where everybody understands in the combat sports realm that you probably shouldn't be sparring with a UFC fighter when it's your fourth day of, of sparring, right? right that, right. that's going to fucking get you hurt, especially if you're going with somebody that doesn't know how to spar light. Well, right. if you're in a weight room and maybe you're doing like a snatch and it's your fourth week in the weight room and you're doing a snatch, guess what? It's even worse than sparring a UFC fighter because the bar and the weight on top of the bar doesn't know how to go light. Its job is to be heavy. Yeah. So if you don't know that technique and you're doing a highly complex movement or you're doing something that requires a large training age, yeah, that is going intensity. to it's going to increase the risk of getting hurt. It's not necessarily you're going to get hurt the first time, but the one thing that it most definitely is going to do, unless you are perfect from the get go is it's going to make things improper patterns and it's going to build bad habits. And we don't want to build bad habits. There's that is literally the opposite of why people come to train with me is right. because they, they can't build those bad habits and I have to try to pull them out of them. So, it's all about efficient movement and doing different things that are going to be most beneficial for that athlete. And that comes with pairing our training age with how we program for that athlete and the exercises we choose. Right. And you just went into the kind of injury risk or um, getting hurt side of things, but there's also a huge performance side of things too, mm -hmm. right? Like your novice in the weight room or your guy that's just beginning in the weight room, you can use a lot less stimulus and get a lot bigger response. 
right? So you don't have to train balls to the walls when you're just starting in the weight room to get massive gains. And as a beginner, I don't have to change the stimulus that often either, right? If we're practicing a trap bar deadlift, I can just trap bar deadlift for probably six to nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. They're going to keep getting better at that and keep getting stronger without adding in variability or fanciness or different um, strength qualities or power type stuff. Um, there's just different performance strategies based on your training age again. Uh, and I'm going to keep comparing this to MMA because I feel like that's the more commonly understood language of our audience, right? If you're a, let's say you're a black belt in jujitsu and you're going over to MMA, like you don't need to keep saturating somebody in grappling. That mm -hmm. person can practice striking for a very long time before they've topped out their gains in striking. Right. So it's just a, an, an understanding and the performance ability of your athlete. If I have an athlete that's been training in the weight room for 10 plus years and they have some decent strength levels and really good power, then I need to start changing up their program more often. Then I need to start mm -hmm. adopting things like daily undulating or conjugate periodization or something more fancy, but that's not, appropriate for just every single individual. Well, it's the same thing I always talk about with good to great and that good to great mentality. It's, it's very easy to get good at something. It's, it's very easy to continue to get gains when you have a low training age, right? Sorry. It's as you get a higher training age, as you start to get more developed, as you start to get, get garner more skills and be at the upper echelon of things, that's when what you do and why you do it matters. That's where the micro movements matter because yeah. you're looking for that extra percent, not that first 20%. Because if you already have 88% or 90%, you can only get 10% more. Guess what? It's probably a lot harder to get that last 10% and it's going to take much more fine-tuned comb through your programming and through your exercise selection versus if you want to add your first 40%, if we're talking in strength and conditioning, that probably just means we got to fucking clean up their squats and their trap bar deadlifts and some of their pressing movements. If we're talking about mixed martial arts, that means learning the basics and hammering in the basics of all the different mixed martial arts. So focusing on that first 40% is going to make you elevated all the way through. Yeah. And that's why it's not a bad thing to be a beginner, right? If we say mm -hmm. your, your training age is low or you're a novice in the weight room, that is great because then your ceiling's even higher. Your potential is through the roof. Dude, I, it makes me look so much better when you're a beginner. Like <laughs> I say it with love because it makes me look great at my job, even though it, I'm doing the, I'm honestly, I'm probably doing 10 times less with beginners because it doesn't take much emphasis. Like hey, if I teach you just a proper squat, that's going to make such a difference versus like I get like, so a couple of my fighters come from the college football realm and they're fucking good at lifting. Right. So that's where I have to, their programs take me about, I'd say about 30% longer to write because I have to think about all of these different variables because what I would do for one person and get a much bigger stimulus that's probably only give me like a half percent in this ath this college football player athletes program, right? It's not going to give me the same percentage of gain. Yeah, and talking about the the strength coach looking good, and this is you ready for some shade, Austin? This is why horrendous high school strength and conditioning coaches still get results. Yeah, <laughs> with high schoolers, you can you can poke them in the side and they're going to get stronger, bro. They got right? so much testosterone, you could literally just like blow like. <sighs> 
and they're right. gonna, and they're going right. to get a better squad. And that's and that's part of the reason that our our field is a little bit I don't know convoluted is because the answer to the question did you get better because of this program or to get better in spite of this program is such a tricky answer, right? But taking factors like training age, like uh, limb length, like trunk stability, like all the different factors you can analyze of an athlete and putting that into your programming can help you make sure you're making athletes better because of your program, not in spite of your program. So that's why training age I think is huge because it really is a guiding pillar when you're starting to program or you're starting to write one for a novice athlete in the weight room, which again, a lot of MMA athletes are. Yeah. And I would even argue that a lot of these elite, elite athletes that don't have a high training age as well in strength and conditioning probably are going to be your worst movers that you're going to have on your team because right. professional athletes, like we had a joke back, actually, I think it was at lacrosse um, was where that went around, but like professional athletes are just professional cheaters. Right. Like all they're, they're just good at cheating the different movement patterns. Like if yeah. you say we're doing FMS, which I'm not going to go into validation on movement screens or whatever, like there's a deeper topic there. FMS isn't perfect, but it's a standardized system. So we do an FMS in LeBron James. I bet you he's probably going to have a worse FMS score than a D3 college basketball player. Yeah. Because LeBron James is really fucking good at he, what he's really fucking good at and yeah. all the other shit. He's probably terrible at, but he didn't have to focus on those skills because that didn't get him better at his sport. Yeah. Maybe if we clean up his FMS screen, that that might make him healthier when he's done playing basketball. Like may, yeah. and maybe that might make him healthier or move better, quote unquote. But I don't think that athlete and cleaning up that perfect movement pattern without load is going to make him a better athlete. And I don't think it's going to make him a better basketball player. Right. And, and that's where... That's where we get our wires crossed with a lot of skill coaches. But because if we have an athlete that's, let's say they're on a 10 fight winning streak, they're, you know, soaring in the UFC, et cetera. And then we come in and we say, well, they're just not very good in the weight room. The skill coach looks at you, why does that fucking matter? They're yep. performing super well, right? Why does that matter? And the exact wrong answer to that question is, well, if we clean them up in the weight room, we get them better in the weight room, he's going to be a better fighter. Yeah, that's that's point blank. That, that has well, that has zero research behind it at all. Even though strength right. coaches say it all the time. Exactly. But what we can say is, we clean up some of his movement patterns. We make him better in the weight room. There's less of a chance that a lot of shit goes wrong. There's less of a chance he gets injured. There's less of a chance you know he loses focus. There's less of a chance he opens himself up via poor movement mechanics or techniques. Well, well, we start, we, we at least get to see because like FMS hasn't really been validated with injury prevention, so to say, but sure. we get to see where we would expect that athlete to get injured during the season. I can't stop like looking at a movement screen. I can't stop an athlete or know like, Oh, this person's going to get hurt. Right? right. Um, but what I can do is I can look at what I would think would be good movement and what's the limiting factor. Maybe the limiting factor in, if we're going to the FMS in his split squat or his, uh, his straight line split squat is his ankle dorsiflexion and he's a basketball player. Well, guess what? I, I probably am going to expect if that athlete gets hurt, it's going to be something in the ankle region, whether it yeah. be a Achilles pop, whether it be like a top of the ankle injury, whether it be a tib anterior strain and shin splints, it might be something in that area so that I can target that area with 
anything as far as treatment goes for performance care, as far as like biomechanic work and rehab, but something that would potentially bulletproof it and just add a little bit more insight to it. Yeah. It gives you a backbone. It gives you a starting blocks. It gives you, and that's why we, we stress the importance of assessments, right? Assessments are huge. And what's the huge quality that you're going to learn from an assessment training age. Bingo. So (laughs) I see what you did there. Right. Yeah. Circling (laughs) back, keeping it on topic. Um, But no, quite honestly, yeah, just training in general. I don't know, I guess where we're going next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, With training age, I think something we already talked about, it was important that being an elite athlete doesn't necessarily make him a high training age in the weight room. What are some, I guess, milestones that you would say like this athlete has gone from a low training age to at least like a 33% no, that you would yeah, look for. That, yeah. How you classify training ages. That's yeah. sure that's Cause I thing. feel like a lot of the times, like even though we know it is a spectrum, we should yeah. at least have dashes along the road that this is a milestone. If they can do this, I would consider them a moderate training age. Right. Well, the scale that I learned a long time ago, all the way back to UW lacrosse, um, and this goes for sports in general and training age is there's novice, intermediate, advanced, and elite, right? Yep. Novice is probably your first zero to six months in the weight room. Your relative strength to your body weight is probably not that high. Your exercise proficiency and technique is not that good. Just you're learning, right? You're getting in the weight room for the first time, right? The intermediate what, state. What does that mean? You said your exercise, your movement's not that good. Your exercise is not that good. That's what I'm talking about. And I know it's hard to say, but what sure. are some like key movement patterns that you would think that that athlete would sure. be bad at, good at, or in intermediate at? So we can go right to our last podcast, or one of our immediate few podcasts, trunk stability. We can't stabilize through our core. We start to get a lot of lumbar flexion. We start to compensate through our hip flexors, through uh, any various types of means. Um, a lot of shoulder protraction and, and lack of retraction, that is, shoulder elevation. I look at that. Um, knee valgus and just foot and ankle instability in general. Like, it doesn't have to be exclusively knee valgus, but the instability part. Um, one of the bigger points that I really look at with novices in the weight room is inconsistency in movement. That's yeah. like, that, that's one of my yeah, biggest that's checks. Point. That's like, a very good point. When I watch a novice athlete squat, they have a set of eight. I may get four or five different like technical squats. Yeah. Right. Which makes my job hard because it's like, what do I cue? Right. But that's when you can go global, top down, et cetera. But you get four or five different squats. An immediate, intermediate athlete, maybe there's like one or two squats that very little bit aren't, and aren't as good. Advanced athlete. Every squat looks pretty much the same. Maybe there's a technical cue or just more saturation we need. An elite athlete in the weight room, their squat is fucking dial. The only thing we need to change is the weight on the bar, right? Yeah. So that's one. Of, that's a couple of the the biggest movement pattern and faults I see in a lot of novice athletes. I guess what, what, how would you answer that question? What are you looking for in an athlete that's not so good in the weight room? What is their bad exercise technique? Um, I mean, you hit a lot of them. I would like, I'm talking about like, I guess, patterns that mm-hmm. I would, I would look at. So like, we'll say a squat pattern Yeah, squats um, in, in an extremely novice athlete or in a novice athlete in general, they're going to squat to their toes versus to the whole foot. 
Um, they're going to flex the lumbar spine in a, not, not because the weight is causing them to flex the lumbar spine their body, their body weight screen would be flexion of the lumbar spine on the toes, which if they're on the toes, that probably means there's a lack, lack of dorsiflexion in the ankles. That's where they're getting that mobility. And then if we're working our way up, say we give them like a 10 pound to see how they handle a goblet, there's going to be massive shoulder elevation. So upper trap use, and they're going to stick their chin out and they're going to jut their chin like a turtle, mm-hmm. which is going to engage all the way through the cervical paraspinal tone. And then the last thing I look at as far as a novice squat would be pressurization. Are they going to be just either arching? Like I already yeah. said, the low back is rounded, but are they just going to be up arching their back all the way in trying to shoot their belly button as far forward as possible, which is just a lack of stabilization. So that's yeah. one. We'll say another thing that I look at where uh, I guess an exercise or milestone I'd want to hit would be a landmine press. It's just body weight or just bar weight, I guess. But as they're pressing, are they able to, again, expand through the trunk? Or are they dipping into lumbar extension in order to press the weight? If they're just dipping into lumbar extension on just a bar landmine press, that probably means they're a novice in what they're doing because they don't know how to move their upper body efficiently, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a good criteria right there that you just kind of hit on with, I don't even, maybe unconsciously, is the novice um, will be unconsciously incompetent, right? We can yep. look at that type of scale, right? So the novice doesn't know they're doing it wrong, but does it wrong. Uh, where the intermediate, maybe they know they're competent, but they're still, or they're conscious, but they're still incompetent. They know what they should be doing and they can do it without um, a little resistance, but as soon as we add a little resistance, they can no longer hold that pattern. So maybe, maybe that's a little differentiator. If we look at the scale and to further explain what the scale I'm talking about, it's where we go, uh, for your motor learning from unconscious incompetent, you don't know what you're doing and you're bad at it to consciously incompetent. You know what you should do, but you can't quite do it yet. Consciously competent, you know what you should do and you can do it well to unconsciously competent. Um, you don't have to think about what you're doing, but you do it well. You just right? fucking so, crush it. Yeah, right. You just you're just good, which yeah. is where a lot of our best athletes are, anyway. But right, that's that's the people that you look at and say that's fucking unfair. Um, yes. <laughs> but that scale and that determination could be a good guidepost for a training age, right? If we have a novice versus an intermediate, an immediate is going to know what to do and be able to do it. And maybe they fail because the resistance gets too heavy, right? Or they fail to execute good technique because the resistance gets too heavy. A novice is going to fail good technique simply because they don't know what to do or they haven't practiced what to do. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I stole your thunder there or just pointed out what you said. But No, I like it. Um Something that I was thinking about as you were actually, ironically enough, I almost did the exact same thing to you and I held it, but now this is my moment. Um, when you were talking about the beginners having that, that high percentage of movement variability. Sure. I think you get that because you're a good coach. I don't think that happens to everybody because you're a good coaching setting with your words. Um, and why, why I say that is because you're letting the athlete try and try and try. Yeah. Right. They're trying different movement strategies. You're allowing them to find the movement that's going to fit them efficiently. Mm-hmm. I think if you're an over cure or yeah. you're a new coach or you're somebody that doesn't let athletes make mistakes, you're not going to see that because you're just going to keep correcting it. But in reality, the only way for that athlete to limit 
the movement strategy all the way down to what's most efficient for them is going to be to trying as many strategies as possible. Right. So I don't, I don't think what you said happens for everybody, but I wish it did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I go, I go back to this, like you're going to make a pretty good athlete if you correct their mistakes all the time, you know, yeah. and this is same is true for MMA coach. If you correct your athlete's mistake every time, you're going to get a pretty good athlete. But who's to say you're right? Well, who's to say I'm right? But also, you want a great athlete, get them to identify when they're wrong. Yep. Right? That's where I, I really know that I'm making progress. And, like, I push my youth athletes really hard on it. And sometimes it doesn't end so well because they can't handle it. But <laughs> but I'm like, they get done with a rep and they, like, look at me like, Coach, should I do a good job? And I'm like, I don't know. Did you? Like, yeah. where did you mess up? What did you do well? Like, yeah. you have to be somewhat self-aware and critical. And I do the same thing to fighters, right? You know, because, again, in a lot of fight settings or if we're being forced to be a strength and conditioning or whatever, we're not being intentional with the movement, right? So it's I, like – I say it all I say it all the time that, like, my athletes, they inevitably get a rep wrong and they finally, like, stop – you ever get an athlete that, like, stops mid-rep, whether it be wrestling, weightlifting, whatever. Right. And they're like, oh, and they get frustrated. I'm like, and every single time my response is, yeah, but now you know what you did. Yeah. The reason you stopped is because you know what you fucked up. So take that and we're going to hit five more just like that, whether it be a squat, whether it be I would yeah. break them out body weight or drop the weight and we do the exact same thing to reinforce the pattern because that athlete just recognized for their first time that they made that mistake. So you want to immediately try to fix that. You want to immediately try to correct that and allow them to gain that positive pathway that they realize what was wrong. Now let's make it right over and over and over again. Exactly. That's where they become autonomous. And I, I see this in jujitsu all the time, right? It's like professor shows a move, go drill a move. Oh, I tried it once. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, I yeah. don't really like that, you know? And it's like either, excuse me, it's either professor, I have a question or this technique's not for me. It's like, yes. no, drill it, feel it out. <laughs> you have to feel it correctly before you can dismiss it or before you even have a question about it. Uh, I got some pushback from my high school wrestlers two weeks ago because I was trying to get them to drill hard. And every other minute they tried to stop me and ask me a question about technique. And it was like, and, and whatever, it was like theoretical, like, what if he does this? And then I can counter that. And it's like, sure. Don't ask me that question right now. You don't have a question about this technique. Can you not tell high schoolers to shut the fuck up anymore? Right. That's the one. It's like, you're trying to get out of this hard work, but I likened it to jujitsu. Cause that's what I see a ton of jujitsu athletes doing is let's talk about the technique. Let's not drill the technique. Let's talk about it. It's like, oh, yeah. motherfucker, you don't have a question about this technique until you've done it 5,000 times. Cause it's all, it's all theory. Until you've hit it live. Until you've hit it in a <laughs> actual training go. Fuck it. We're going live. <laughs> oh man. But I don't know. I think we're way off track. It's um, okay. Training but getting age. your athlete to, analyze themselves and understand the right movement, I think is the next step to be consciously competent. Versus, exactly. Right. Which that's all training age is. That's all increasing training age is, is getting to as close to unconscious as unconsciously competent as possible. Yeah. With as many movements as possible. That that's would, all it is. I would kind of push back on that a little bit. There's a lot of, there's to me, there's still a scale of like performance ability there too. Like if I'm looking at, if I'm looking at strength, Right. As, as athletic quality. Right. Like, right. You have to get strong. Like I'm not, I'm not going to make you just cause you know, a perfect trap bar deadlift 
but yeah, that's your fair. relative strength is 1.0. Like you could, your max on the trap bar is your body weight. You're not advanced in weight, right? So, yeah. so there's got to be some performance. I guess it's more for going. movement quality than yeah. anything. Yeah. Which is, to be fair, is like 80, 90% of our focus, right? Is movement quality and efficiency. It's easy but to get the, somebody strong. Exactly. As long as you're consistent at it. That's why consistency Mm -hmm. and and, uh, intent have to go. But that's another scale we can gauge training age on is your performance abilities, right? Is your trap bar deadlift two to two and a half times your body weight, right? Is your, I don't know. I actually just saw to pause. I just saw a recent study where they were going at, I think Highlander games, athletes, um, and it was different than the one that I saw with Ryan Flaherty where before it was a three rep max for three times your body weight. Yeah. This was just a one rep max for, or sorry, not three, uh, two and a half times your body weight. This one was just yeah. a one rep max for two and a half times your body weight, which maybe that's because of how big Highlander games athletes are. And yeah. it goes, but, and you can't only get so strong, but it was weird to see the disparity between the two. Cause I've always used a three rep max as my like, strength metric right and i think that comes from a little bit of, of logic like as far as conservative strength coaching right like yeah. one rms are dangerous quote unquote like and they are and they aren't right but right. three rms are a little more consistent right um so that's like if we're going to translate to mma i would think of like we're going to take your one fight in the ufc and base your entire ability off of that right, right. which Maybe it's better to look at your last three fights and see where you're at. So um, I think that's a good analogy to see actual strength levels. Um, Power metrics. I want to make sure that we can get to um, a lactic power period. Like, can we do that? You know? Well, that's a good point. It's energy system development. That's actually where I see trained and untrained athletes the most is in their energy system development and utility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I look at that more like performance ability, I suppose. And, and you can certainly ascribe a training age dependent on that, but that's also, I think lifestyle habits too, because a lot of times when you have a novice in the weight room, like their aerobic fitness is off the chart, right? Well, yeah, but like, think, think about it like this. This is where I'm going with that is like, if I ask you how to do a 30, 30, on an air bike for say you're 30, 30 seconds on 30 seconds off for four no. versus if I ask a 75 year old woman doing leg rehab and I say, go a hundred percent and then take a hundred percent or take 30%, you know what a hundred percent is. So you yeah. can push there. You're, you're going to pass out versus if I ask the old lady, she doesn't even know what she thinks a hundred percent is 50%. Yeah. So like that's, that's the exact same thing with trained and untrained. If you know how to use that energy system versus if you don't, I can tell immediately based off the different testing metrics and the different exercises we can do. Yeah. And I think, I think even that could be a capacity or a a, uh, category on its own, like using the appropriate intensity for the demand in front of you. Right. Cause I see it with untrained athletes all the time. Like even when I'm teaching, I'm teaching a power clean, right? Like, my novice athlete, you know, they're going to have 65 pounds on the bar and they're going to clean it and then hit themselves in the chin, yes. right? <laughs> Versus, hey, you know, hey, my trained athlete. I still athlete, do that. Yeah, well, you're bad to clean them. <laughs> um, then I'll have a trained athlete hit the clean and like they re- recognize, oh, it's 65 pounds. 
little hip pop catching a good position still. Right. So it's like, and I literally have to spell this out to some of my athletes. It's like, there is 65 pounds on the bar just because it's a power clean doesn't mean you have to throw it through the ceiling. Right. It's like, it's like tossing a baseball, right. If I'm going to play catch with somebody five feet away from me, I'm not throwing a heater. Right. I'm going to underhand toss or just little light uh, lob. So understanding the appropriate intensity for the training goal. Yep. Which, you know, can boil down just to intelligence, but. Yeah. Maybe they don't learn it. Maybe it's, maybe it's not trainable. (laughs) (laughs) But coach, I just want to do, I just want to go hard. I just want to do what you say. I don't want to have to think. (laughs) Okay. Then you have a low training age. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but no, I think that's, and that's another point. I think that can be our final point here is seeing athletes transition through this progress and through this procedure of training age, you get a lot of different habits and a lot of different reactions, right? Yeah. Your novice in the, in the weight room wants to work hard, wants to go gung ho when they probably should be taken at the slowest and the most, uh, intentful or the most, uh, focused your veteran in the weight room probably is the most focused and and wants to work the most efficiently not the hardest Mm -hmm. but maybe they need the most variability and to be working the hardest so i think that's an interesting thing to to track either through one athlete's career or see it across your team of athletes the young gun that's getting in the weight room and wants to fucking get after it and wants to one rep max every day or which has low training age right Versus the vet that comes in, understand there's a program and a plan in place, executes the, you know, sets, reps, intensities to a T because they know what's going on and they know how to execute it. So yep. it's, I guess that's your spec. I equate it. Yeah, I equate it to like there's a difference. Like the young guns will go in and try to work more. They're going to try to increase their quantity of work. Right. While the vets, the the all stars, the superstars, they come in and they try to increase the quant or the quality of the work that they're doing. So they're working smarter within that amount of time, and they're trying to make like the reps perfect. They're trying to make their study sessions perfect. They're trying to do all of the little things right to become more efficient or to increase the quality of what they're doing versus just do more work for work's sake. Right. And if you're on an MMA team, do me a fucking favor and soapbox. Right. Here we go. (laughs) And identify those high performing athletes on your team and fucking ask them questions or mirror their behavior. Right. If you have the example right in front of you, why would you not use it? Why would you not look up to the guy that's on a four or five win streak in the UFC or that's been in the UFC for 12 years? Right. It's like, watch him. Do what they do. <laughs> Learn from him. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. So back's over. Training age talk complete. Yeah. Well, guys, if you got to get in touch with us, all of our information is in the show notes. That's going to be both Instagram handles as well as emails. If you guys are looking for strength conditioning programming, all of our programs are at buildingafighter.com. We have eight different programs. We're going to be adding some more there soon, as well as we have a low back course for people that have previously struggled with low back pain and want to help stabilize that trunk. So that is all at buildingafighter.com. This is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.